When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here with former NFL quarterback and ex-Minnesota Vikings Sage Rosenfels. Um, Sage, how were you feeling when the New Orleans Saints got screwed in a game in New Orleans in the NFC Championship? That bring back any I thoughts? Felt terrible for them. Yeah, I just, you know, I felt so bad for them and, you know... That you know, they just do not deserve that. They've never done anything wrong in their lives before, <laughs> in their franchise's history. Really, the first thing I thought of was uh, was Ben Lieber. It's, it's the very first thing I thought of. Um, and you know, last year the Vikings with that that crazy the Minneapolis miracle, and you know, some people sort of looked at that as redemption. That wasn't redemption to me. This this was sort of like uh, you know karma or or the NFL world balancing itself out. And it does seem to do that over time. You know, people talk about who's going to win a game, who's going to lose a game. I'm like, you know, it's a fumble here. It's a, it's a tip pass interception there. You just don't know, but things over time usually balance themselves out. And, and, you know, that terrible call was just as terrible as the call on Ben Lieber in that 2000, uh, I guess nine season, 2010, January, NFC Championship game in a Superdome. Not to mention a handful of uh, personal foul calls that potentially could have been flagged against the Saints in, in 2000, uh, well, 2010, technically, but the 2009 season. And I, did you also see when the New Orleans Saints player came running in at the end of a play at one point and jumped on a Rams guy and there was nothing called on that? It was like, well, there is a little bit of karma when it comes to that, too, I guess. Well, and there was multiple other just missed calls in the game, and that does happen every game. I mean, listen, the NFL game is so fast. It's so violent, and people get on these referees in and, and both games, and in the Patriots game as well. People get on the referees, and, and it is impossible to see everything that's going on. It's just such a fast football game. I'm not excusing, obviously, the missed passenger feelings penalty in, in that situation. That was a you'd think a fairly easy call. Uh, but, you know, as we all watch it in slow-mo, by the way, that's another thing is, you know, most of us are watching it, uh, even whether you're in the press box and you have all the TVs in the press box and, and you can see all these slow motion, you know, high-def shots. But the game is played, you know, at 10 times that speed and it's boom, boom. 
And, uh, you know, the someone makes it look like it was an easy call. And, and that wasn't was an easier call, but things happen really fast in the official system. And over time, uh, you, you win some and you lose some. So when you get together with former players that were on the Vikings team in 09, do you guys still talk about that game? I mean, do you talk about the referees? Does it still sting pretty hard for guys? You know, we don't usually talk about that game per se. You may, I maybe have a little bit, but uh, usually not. You know, we, we don't really. Uh, we, we, a lot of times we talk about the current team. You know, if anything, you know, a lot of uh, former players, you, know, you can sit back and you can talk about all these games and seasons you had. But, you know, a lot of times you end up just sort of talking about the current team. You know, Ben Lieber and I, uh, I, I was at a game. You know, I can't remember which game it was this year. And, and he ended up giving me a ride home. And uh, uh, we talked for whatever it was, 15, 20 minutes, probably three quarters of it was just about this team, the season, you know, the quarterback, the, you know, the this, that and the other. Um, and that's that's, you know, we, we're fans just like everybody else. And so, yeah, we don't sit around and, and talk about that. Ter- you know, maybe there should be a reunion sometime <laughs> uh, and, and all, we can all get that uh, out on the table and and, you know, maybe figure out what all happened. Okay, so let's talk about how this Super Bowl looks now to us and where the Vikings can learn some different things from these Super Bowl teams. What I'm really interested in, Sage, is the matchup between the philosophies on the offensive side because with the Rams, they use the same personnel. They have three wide receivers out there every single play, and Sean McVay believes that that uh, helps them disguise what they're doing and limit the number of tendencies defenses can pick up on. And then the Patriots are doing the exact opposite thing. They had 10 different skill players, tight ends, running backs, wide receivers, 10 play more than 15 snaps in that game against Kansas City. And it seemed to really help them that they had three different running backs they could rotate in. Cordero Patterson plays multiple positions. They've got two tight ends. They've got my favorite player in the world, the fullback James Devlin. Uh, which, which one do you subscribe to more for the Vikings using when it comes to next season with Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski? Well, that's a good question. I, I think either way, whether it's a three, three receiver set, which the Rams, you know, play as much as anybody in the NFL, uh, you know, three wide receivers, one tight end, one running back, or what the Patriots did in that football game, which is, you know, they, they came out. They went two tight ends, two running backs, one wide receiver, and they were ground and pound. I mean, that first drive was, you know, right up the middle, draw, uh, uh, inside zone, you know, power, you know, five yards, eight yards, and, and just slowly, methodically work your way down the line, you know, d- down the field. Um, and I, I like that style of offense with what the Vikings have more than the three wide receiver sets. One, the Vikings don't have a great third wide receiver. Uh, and two, you're then, you know, you're counting on the quarterback to do a lot with a little bit less protection. Uh, and you can't just say, we're going to run the football when you have three wide receivers because, you know, they may have, you know, sort of bigger, stronger personnel out on the field than you. But when you go two tight ends, two running backs and a receiver or one tight end, two running backs and your sort of standard base personnel and you say you want to run the ball and you can, there's really not much a defense can do about it. And that's what happened in that football game uh, the other day with the Patriots. Now, the key, though, the key, and this is uh, was I think the key in this football game. We got to realize Kansas City, I think, was a much better overall team, but the Patriots had a plan. How do we limit their greatest strength? It's not to have some some amazing pass defense against Pat Mahomes and some new scheme. It's to not have Pat Mahomes on the field. Mm-hmm. 
And and Dante Scarnecchia, their O line coach, who I think is like a Hall of Fame offensive line coach, the best there ever there ever has been in the NFL. They ran ninety four plays in that game, and one play, one play was a negative yard play. It was a kneel down. All right, so hmm. every run they called got zero or positive yards. That keeps you on pace, you know, for third and threes and third and fours and and or, or getting first downs on second down. That's the offense that the Vikings need to have with Kirk Cousins. But the key is Kirk Cousins has to be big time on third down, and that's what the Patriots were. They were, I believe, 13 of 19 on third down in the game. So you run you know, 94 plays, you methodically control the football. The time of possession that game was about 44 minutes to 19 or 20 minutes uh, uh, for, for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's how the Vikings need to win. Keep their defense off the field, which is very good. But keep their defense off the field, control the line of scrimmage. That means fullback. That means offensive linemen that are better. That means offensive line coaching that is better. A real plan of how they're going to run the football. Uh, uh, you know, so that that I think that would be more conducive to Kirk Cousins trying to get this football team as far as it can go. So here's a stat you'll appreciate when it comes to getting those third down and shorts, or is it thirds down and short? Hmm. I'm not sure. Um, third, 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 third downs, downs, third downs and, and short. short. Okay, uh, got to make sure you get the grammar right. Kirk Cousins, third, third, third down and shorts. Thirds. Okay, well, let's. You know what I mean. <laughs> um, Kirk Cousins had the third best quarterback rating on third and short in the NFL last year, and the twentieth on third and long. So if you take less than six yards to go, he's third. When it's more than six yards to go, he's 20th. And that would, I'm sure, match up with what you saw with him struggling on third downs and long. Um, and he executed what they needed to do on third and short pretty often, but they didn't have that many thirds down and short last year. And I noticed with Tom Brady executing those so brilliantly, and of course he's amazing in the third and longs too, that last drive, three third and tens, and he ends up completing them because he's, one of the greatest, if not the greatest quarterback ever. But if you're trying to carry over what worked for them that can work for the Vikings, getting to third down and short or making sure that it's not third and 12 or third and nine is very, very important, I think, for this quarterback. It is important, and that is an aspect, I think, uh, that excites me about Gary Kubiak coming on uh, the staff. And I don't know, you know, we don't know really exactly what that role is going to be. Is he going to be put in the 80 hours a week, like everybody else, just sort of a general coach, or is he going to be more of like a nine to five guy, like a consultant is, uh, and just sort of overseeing the whole thing, you know, helping oversee the whole thing, I guess, with, with Kevin Stefanski, that's a question. But what I do know by playing four Cubs for three years is that he is big on staying on course uh, and not getting behind the chains or behind the sticks, as they like to say, you know, the second down and 14s just kill you. Yeah. You know, but, but second and eight is fine. You know, we slowly methodically, uh, we can move the ball to get, you know, in the, in the situations where we can do a lot of different things on third down, you go quick game. You know, I'll tell you what the Patriots the other night, they had a third and four. And they ran the ball for a first down for five yeah, yards. Yeah. You don't see that very often with the goat at quarterback or with a lot of quarterbacks in the league. You might see that with Blake Bortles, but you're not going to see that much. Uh, you're going to put the ball in his hands on anything more than probably third and two. You know, Brady's going to be throwing the football. You got to think they just straight up ran the ball for a first down on third and four in that game. And that goes to show you the type of sort of mental game plan 
that that team had. And I think one thing that makes Belichick so brilliant, and there's a lot of things that, that makes him brilliant, but is that I think the entire team, he gets it across to the team that this is going to be the way we're going to win this game. It's going to be by beating the crap out of them up front. And here's how we're going to do it. Right. And that is our best chance of winning that football game. And he designed that win uh, as a full team win. He sort of designed it, and it started with those guys up front. Uh, and I, I'm hoping that Gary Kubiak uh, can be sort of a part of that process. Because that's what the Vikings did so well two years ago, and that's what they failed to do last year. Explain something to me. Now, when watching the game, it looked like there were a lot of times where Tom Brady was changing plays or checking out of plays, things like that. And Tony Romo, I thought, on the broadcast did a pretty good job of calling them out with like, look, Brady's changing the play or maybe he sees this or that. And several times it seemed that he was changing to a run play. So if you have your two plays and you decide to kill the first one's pass play and go to a run play, how do you make that decision? Because it seems to me like the, the quarterbacks now have a lot of control of when their team runs on first and second down, that there's a decision that has to be made based on the defense. But what is that decision based on? Well, many times it's whether it's, you know, the safeties are in a sort of a too high look uh, where the safeties are deeper, which basically means up front, you're going to have a man for a man in your blocking schemes. Uh, and so those, since those numbers are right, uh, it, it's a good position to, to run the football and be successful, usually for you know, four plus yards. If you have a man for man uh, with, with a good running back and a good old line, you should be able to get you know four or five yards. When the safety comes down and they've got one more than you, whether you're in the three wide receiver set or, or two tight end set, uh, that means that the corner on the outside does not usually have uh, some sort of safety help over the top. He's one on one, and then teams a lot of times go to the pass and have you know some sort of in, individual route on the outside, you know, a slant, a some sort of stop route, a comeback, that those individual type routes one on one on the outside. So that's a lot of what teams are looking for. You can get deep into the game plans, maybe versus a certain look, whether it's man or zone or a certain front uh, that it's you know passing. But if you see a certain front check to a run, you know, the other night it looked like to me it could have been a pass to a run thing. It could also have been a run to a run. Mm-hmm. They may have had a run to the left. But if you see this certain look based off the front of the linebackers or where the safeties are, now we're going to run to the right. So, you know, Tony does a obviously a great job. People just seem to love how he sort of calls out plays here and there. As a quarterback, to be honest with you, it's not that hard because that's all we look at. You know, when right. you can watch hours and hours for years of film, you're just looking for the weak spots uh, in an offense. And when you see Gronk out there, man-to-man coverage uh, with, with Barry guarding him or really any safety guard him. It's man-to-man and it's single high safety. He's got no help. You're probably going to be working Gronk. That's, that doesn't take a, a genius to, uh, to see that. And Tony calls it out, you know, fairly easily. The, the average fan at home can't always see that. So it's probably amazing that, you know, quarterback, that this quarterback that does that, uh, you know, from the booth. Cause most quarterbacks in the past have it. You know, Troy Aikman doesn't do that. And mm-hmm. Dan Fountain doesn't really do that. Um, but you know, Obviously, Tony does, but that is, as again, that's how a quarterback, how you see the game. You look at the formation, you look at the defense, and then you start figuring out, you know, what are the plays, you know, that generally work. And you also, obviously, you study the, the teams that week and you watch, you know, three, four, or five games, and then you sort of study their tendencies of what they do in different per- personnel groups and formations. And people think, well, why does the defensive coordinator, you know, see that? Or why does the defense understand that? I mean, they do, but, 
you, you sort of know, like, listen, Gronkowski, we called man to man, Gronkowski's out wide. We're hoping that our safety can cover him. And, you know, a lot of times they just can't. So tell me how you watch a game as a quarterback. I mean, when you're just sitting there watching the game, most people are watching the football. It gets snapped to the quarterback and he drops back. I mean, are you watching pre-snap? Are you looking at safeties? Are you seeing, oh, this this guy's sort of hinting that he's coming down, that it might be some sort of robber or that, you know, two two guys deep? Or like, where, where do your eyes go uh, during a game? Uh, well, the first thing goes... I would say, well, obviously, with the, the, the offensive formation, are they in a two by two? Are they in a three by one? You know, what's the personnel group? Uh, and then that sort of starts to, depicting what the defense is going to do. So let's just say you're in a trips formation. Now I'm looking actually at the defensive front. It's a, you, you think like, yeah, you know, you go to the safeties first. It's a lot of times what young quarterbacks are taught, but I like looking at that front. Sometimes that gives you a tell then where the linebackers are going to be, which then gives you a tell where the safeties are going to be. It all sort of works hand in hand. So. You start looking at the linebackers. What's their leverage? You know, is there a safety down or are both safeties deep? Uh, you know, if you can tell if it's too high from a TV copy, usually they're going to work, you know, certain concepts because of that inside leverage. If it's single high safety and everyone's a bumped man, you look at those matchups on the outside. A lot of times a single receiver, uh, you know, a lot of times they have a, just again, let's say in a trips formation, a lot of times you'll have your, your two high concepts to the three man side and then your single safety concept. Uh, to that lone receiver. And so you start looking at those matchups. Is it bump? Is it bail? Again, you know, you're sort of trained as a quarterback, always look for the defense's weaknesses. Uh, so when I watch, you know, these games, I'm looking at that, you know, those defensive fronts and, and those, obviously those, uh, those coverages and then the secondary. Same. I mean, I see the same stuff. I, I, I'm not taking any follow up questions on that. I'm just going to say I see uh, all, all, everything you just said. Um, well, and by the way, and, and the first thing you also look at is, you know, it, it, the protection, you know, yeah. they, people always talk about these great route concepts and all these things. The protection, uh, is it all starts with protection. And so, you know, again, that's why the fronts are important where the running back is, you know, all these things. What is the protection and, and, you know, is that quarterback protected or, you know, are they an empty, uh, you know, do they have six guys up? He's got to get rid of the football. Uh, you know, those types of those types of scenarios. Now, you bring that up with the protections, and this is something I was thinking of over the weekend because there's a lot of sort of back and forth sniping snark about, oh, look, they actually have an offensive line who can protect and things like that. And, and one thing that I noticed, though, is that the Rams and the Patriots have some, I guess I would call them creative just because it's not your standard. Everyone stands there and pass blocks. But like when they're doing play actions off of power runs. So when you have a guard pulling or something, but it's actually a play action play or when you have the the zone run look and then it turns into a play action. It seems like John Filippo last year did not do the best job, nor did his quarterback in helping out the Vikings offensive line. Of course, they need more talent. But I thought in terms of how they protected as well, there wasn't a whole lot of uniqueness there. It was a lot of times of, hey, look, it's Jerry Hughes against Riley Reef, and Reef is getting demolished on this. That that I think opposing defenses had a lot of times where they were pinning their ears back and they knew exactly what they were going to be able to do. Yeah, I mean, again, you look at a, a football game and a quarterback throws the ball, say, 35 times, and you sort of want to have a plan of, how many just straight dropbacks do you want? How many do you want that are wide receiver screens or play action uh, or bootlegs or, you know, what have you. And, and, you know, or, uh, over the course of the game, you really don't want 25 straight dropbacks. Those are the hardest plays for an offensive lineman. 
are straight drop back pass. They're exposed the most. They don't have anything to uh, keep the defense uh, off balance. So yeah, the, the play one running the football so the line can come off the ball, and two the play action, which the which the Patriots do very very well. Uh, you know, keep t- keep Gronk in for for a second or for an entire time and have those one on one matchups on the outside. And Brady's just so good in zone about getting the ball out. You know, there, there's a couple when, when teams do play zone, Tom does not hold the ball that much back there. He holds the ball in man a little bit because he's trying to let his guy have time to work to get open, but he does not hold the ball in zone. He gets the ball out immediately to the first guy that's open. He makes quick decisions and, uh, and that really slows down the pass rush as well. Zero hits. I believe I saw with it zero yeah. actual hits yeah. in the game or something. Zero pressures uh, against that pass rush for the Kansas City Chiefs. That's unbelievable. Yeah, he was never knocked down in that game. And his decision-making, and this is something when we talk about what can you carry over, that's something where Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski have to find what Kirk Cousins is most comfortable with making decisions quickly. Because when I was looking at you know the time it takes for Kirk Cousins to get the ball out of his hands, like how often is he throwing the ball in, in less than two and a half seconds and things like that. Tom Brady is always one of the best. Ben Roethlisberger was at the very highest. No surprise, Drew Brees, Phillip Rivers, the veteran quarterbacks are up there for getting the ball out quick. And Kirk Cousins is in the middle of the league when it comes to getting the ball out of his hands. And I think that the Vikings are, even if they improve the offensive line, they're not going to have the best offensive line in the league next year. So what concepts can work for Kirk Cousins to get the ball out fast, I think is a big question that they have to answer this offseason. Well, it just, you know, Kirk making quicker decisions, you know, and, and just, again, just sort of getting the ball out. It's not, doesn't mean like three-step drops only making quicker decisions. And when a guy is open, hit him immediately and not always wait for that guy down the field. There was a play the other day in the Patriots game where the Kansas City Chiefs were playing zone. You could see by the formations, they were in a zone coverage, Tom audible to play. And I believe on the right side, they had like three guys sort of going deep and Gronk was running a shallow rock coming from the left side. Brady dropped back, his back foot hit at the end of his drop, and he went, boom, got the ball immediately. He was not looking to try to throw the ball somewhere down the field. He was looking for a six-yard gain. Mm-hmm. You know, just get the ball to Gronk, get it out, protect your offensive lineman, to slowly, again, you know, move those chains or be on, uh, you know, be on uh, um, uh, slowly progressing to move the chains and not waiting for something deeper down the field because the, the, the Chiefs do have a very, very good pass rush. So I, I'll give you the numbers on that. Of quarterbacks who took at least 200 dropbacks this year, Tom Brady was 10th in terms of getting it out the quickest. And there are some quarterback, you know, Jeff Driscoll got it out pretty quick, but, you know, it's Jeff Driscoll. Um, so Brady was one of the elites in terms of getting it out. And Kirk Cousins was 24th, so he was not getting it out quick enough. And right with Brady is Andrew Luck, Breeze, Phillip Rivers, right in that same sort of range. So getting it out on those those checkdowns. Somebody brought up with, with his checkdowns, and it's amazing how often – he's able to just find someone with a little bit of space to get those yards after the catch. And I think that part of that, Sage, is the weapons that they put around him. It was pretty clear that Bill Belichick thought uh, no no amount of good skill players is too many. They kept Rex Burkhead. They drafted a running back. They brought in Cordero Patterson. And I, I think that the Vikings should follow that model. Like, if there's three more skill players they could bring in, this team has three good running backs. Like, why settle for one? 
Well, not only that is what Belichick does better than anybody else is each of his wide receivers, each of his running backs, they can sort of do everything. I mean, Julian Edelman can throw the football. He was a quarterback. You know, he's so good in the slot. He can, he, he is a great, really good blocker. All these things he does. The running backs are not just traditional running backs. I mean, they are very much receivers just as running back. You know, James White had 15 catches in the divisional round. Right. These guys are receivers too. Now, if you look at the way defenses are, whether they play cover two or whatever, the, you can double uh, uh, the wide receivers. You can double Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen. You can double a tight end. It's hard to double running backs. So you can tell New England has a lot of plays where the running back is not just running a flat, but running more of an option route flat if he just gets a step. And Tom is so accurate. And you see the Saints doing it, the same thing with Alvin Kamara. They're so accurate. They get the ball to the running backs as more of your number one instead of just a check down. They're actually sort of the number one player in that route. And again, slowly, methodically moving the chains, make those linebackers cover running backs. So that would be a, an area where the Vikings could improve next year is have more pass game threats from the running backs instead of just checkdowns. You know what this reminds me of is like positionless basketball. You know how like you you wouldn't normally think yes. a running yeah, there's back. There's not a right? one. There, yeah, there's not a one through five. You're just like Princeton, how they used to play. Like you're just five basketball players that can do it all. Everyone can shoot the three. Everyone can bring it up a little bit. There's no specific position. And this guy is doing this, and this guy is doing this. Everyone can just play, which makes you know defensively uh, much more challenging to know who the scorers are. So tell me, um, with Sean McVay making his way to the Super Bowl, like since you know Sean McVay, does that mean that like you get a head coaching job? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do a football camp with him. Therefore, I should be. Uh, I think so. A, a new coach next year for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it is amazing. I mean, we haven't had this conversation yet, but you know, I, I'm lucky enough to do this football camp in Los Angeles, and uh, I may try to bring it to you know maybe Minnesota, maybe later this spring or or, or this summer. But we basically deal with the top quarterbacks uh, in the country. Uh, not all of them, but we get a lot of. A lot of the, you know, number one, number two, number three ranked guys in these different classes in high school. And we do it in Los Angeles. Uh, and, you know, Sean McVay is there. Kyle Shanahan went and Mike Shanahan went two years ago. Jared Goff has been there. Uh, but then what's really interesting are the, you know, the, the other non-famous coaches that are at this camp who are getting to be much more well-known. Mm-hmm. Matt LaFleur works that camp. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, Richie Sangarello is now the Broncos offensive coordinator. He was the quarterback's coach with the 49ers. Mike McDaniel's a, a well-known commodity with the 49ers as sort of the run game coordinator. Uh, Shane Waldron's a passing game coordinator for the Rams. You know, Norv Turner's son worked the camp last summer. So it's, it's a neat thing that we get to do. And man, it's, it's amazing how all these coaches are. You know, going from core best coaches to coordinators or coordinators to head coaches and having a lot of success. And obviously people not only really like the, uh, I think the schematics of what Sean McVay is bringing to that team, but just his overall style. I mm-hmm. think people really like, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think players like playing for him. The people in the organization like playing for him. He's great with motivational speaking. Uh, you know, he has that confidence, but it doesn't feel like it's arrogance. I think people are looking to have you know, a little bit more of that uh, in their franchises. And I'm, I'm not stunned to see him in the Super Bowl. You know, when it comes to that bad call, most certainly the Saints should have gotten that call and they should have been able to run the clock down and, and whatever on from there. But when it comes to the way the Rams came back in that game, 
I think it says a lot about both Sean McVay and Jared Goff that they got down. And of course, everyone comes out with the stats on Twitter of they've only won one out of the last 75 games where they've been down 13 or something. Right. There's always those stats. And I thought Jared Goff showed incredible resilience in that game, made a couple of big time throws. There were a few where he was running bootlegs that I saw Dan Orlovsky breaking down where there was a man in his face and he had to get rid of the ball real quick. And I think it says a lot about the relationship that those two have built and Jared Goff showing more. I guess I thought more than I thought was there in that. Well, game. and he had a he had a great play early in the game I don't remember if it was like I feel like it was the first half where he scrambled to his right uh found somebody yes. down the field I think number 83 on a maybe 81 on a big time play and some run after a catch you know he's a he's a pretty good athlete he's a tall lanky guy uh, you know better runner than like a Tom Brady but he's really just a pocket passer but yeah he made those plays like, there was a bad call in the game but the Saints were still leading it you know by uh you know by three points and all they had to do was stop uh stop the Rams and they didn't then they got the ball in overtime. They didn't go down and score, and the Rams did. So, you know, despite that one bad call, the, the Saints definitely had multiple chances to win that football game. Goff did play better and better. You know, these these prime time, big time games that he's playing in as a young player, those are going to be big for his career because I tell you what, everyone thinks Sean McVay is a great coach. A lot of coaches seem to be great coaches when they sort of find the young quarterback who's pretty dang good mm-hmm. and they have that extra twenty, twenty five million dollars to spread around the rest <laughs> of your organization. Yes. You know, and the team just you know better. Uh so we'll see how good you know Sean is when they're gonna have to give Jared Goff in, you know, a year or two, they're gonna have to give him twenty five million dollars a year or whatever it is. Now you're dealing with a, a different, you know, a different hand of cards. Uh, and more, you know, the quarterback is more needs to be more responsible for more things because he's just going to have a little bit less around him. Yeah, no, that's that's true. And when you look at where the Vikings are, they are stuck in the middle here that the two teams that are playing have a young quarterback on a rookie contract and a legendary quarterback that can overcome just about anything. And the Vikings have the expensive quarterback who is not a legend and uh, you know, I kind of noticed that trend of the the four teams that are left. Mahomes is on the rookie deal. Goff is on the rookie deal. The other two guys are going to walk into the Hall of Fame. That's a tough position for the Vikings to be in as there's a razor thin margin for moves that they make this offseason. They can't make that extra move. The, the Eagles, for example, Sage, they they signed a couple of players that wouldn't have made any headlines like Corey Graham, just a safety cornerback you know a guy who's kind of versatile but he ends up playing because of injuries in the Super Bowl and those are the types of moves that the Vikings really can't make and that is a, the hard part and it's it's also those backup special teams guys that well you know we can get a couple guys at you know three or four million dollars a year or two million dollars a year but instead we have to go with somebody making a half a million bucks because we're going to be close to the salary cap limit so that that quarterback contract uh, is a really sort of interesting conversation study. I think for all 32 NFL teams, everybody that that is sort of where you start when you're talking about you know Rob Brzezinski and what this team is and can be and who's going. What are we spending on the quarterback and what are we getting out of that position? The Vikings obviously you know spend more than probably the production they're getting uh, at that position. That's the that, that situation, I know it's going to be the situation for the next two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you look at the Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott. They went out uh, and they have a chance to you know, sign more players now. But now, he, it's, again, some, sometime soon, he's going to have to get some sort of extension. Russell Wilson 
you know, that was a different football team when he was underneath that rookie contract. They had all these great players that they were signing. Uh, the 49ers, when they just had Kaepernick under that rookie deal, they were in the Super Bowl. So there is this window of opportunity for teams that have, you know, first round quarterbacks, second round quarterbacks, and they're playing well enough uh, to, to lead their football teams. And the Rams are in that position with Jared Goff. All right, so we'll get together again next week, and we can break down who is going to win the Super Bowl. Uh, I won't spoil it for you, but uh, for our listeners, but I think you have a rule about how you always pick a certain quarterback because you never want to bet against him. So I, I'm not going to spoil that, but you were right in doing so and not betting against Tom Brady when it came to the AFC hey, Championship. Until... until- until he loses or until they're not really, really good or until, I mean, I, I, I the, the Patriots are the regular, especially the first half of the regular season. That is like, we're trying to figure ourselves out who we are, what we're going to be, this, that, and the other. And then they really, you know, turn on the gas the second half of the year and into the playoffs. And, and, uh, you know, particularly in that AFC East when all the other three teams just aren't very good. They do have that ability to, and I say coast a little bit to sort of, you know, I've heard that the, the Patriots, the first month of the season, they sort of mentally think they're in training camp mode still. They're mm-hmm. still grinding and still trying to figure out who they are, uh, which they think later on helps them in the playoffs. And here, here we go. Here, sure enough, again, not just in the championship game, in the Super Bowl, uh, every single year. I'm sure people for years now have had, uh, Brady and Belichick overload, but, their consistency is like nothing I've ever seen in professional sports. It is uh, incredible, and I'm pretty sure that in the year 2046, it'll still be Tom Brady and Bill Belichick in the Super Bowl, <laughs> and we'll still be talking about, is this the final year of Brady? Um, so anyway, uh, Sage, will do that next week. We'll break it down fully, this matchup, and continue to talk about the Vikings offseason on the uh, Purple Podcast. So thank you, as always, Sage, and thank you all for listening here to the Purple Podcast. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.